Audio 22, Restoring America, Part 3. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. The sovereignty of God in American affairs and a national day of fasting and repentance is a necessity for America to be blessed of God, especially at this critical time in our nation's history. Abraham Lincoln boldly and eloquently speaks of our national sin. Abraham Lincoln says, Yet if God wills that it continue until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Abraham Lincoln's Union Army Battle Hymn, which is called the Battle Hymn of the Republic, is well known to us as Americans. Let us listen to an excerpt of this song. He, that is Christ, has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He, Christ, is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Abraham Lincoln, being the great leader that he was, recognized that the civil war to free the slaves may be the judgment of God upon America for not ridding ourselves of slavery sooner. In his inaugural address, he eloquently said the following, Fondly do we hope and fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another, drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago. So still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It took 620,000 to 700,000 casualties in the Civil War to get the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolishing slavery. The 13th Amendment. Section 1. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Section 2. Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Just think about that. 620,000 casualties in the Civil War versus 417,000 in World War II.
Abraham Lincoln definitely believed God in the following verse. The question is, do we take the following verse to heart? Let us listen to former Mr. Morality, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh, or the evil proclivities of his heart, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Abraham Lincoln's victory at the Battle of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, July 1 through 3, 1863, was the turning point of the Civil War. If we would have lost this battle, we may well have lost the Civil War to free the slaves. There were about 50,000 casualties in those three days, almost as many as in the Vietnam War in 10 years. But what preceded those three days of battle that led to Abraham Lincoln's pivotal victory at Gettysburg? For about two years preceding Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln had lost just about every battle to Robert E. Lee's Army of the South. But after Gettysburg, he won literally almost every battle. Two pivotal proclamations by President Lincoln paved the way to turn the tide from continual loss to continual victory. The first proclamation was on January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation. This Emancipation Proclamation, or Proclamation 95, was a presidential proclamation and executive order issued by United States President Abraham Lincoln, effective January 1st, 1863. It changed the legal status under the federal law of more than 3.5 million enslaved African Americans in the Confederate States from slave to free. As soon as a slave escaped the control of the Confederate government, either by running away across Union lines or through the advance of federal troops, the slave was permanently free. Ultimately, the Union victory brought the proclamation into effect in all of the former Confederacy. The remaining slaves, those in the areas not in revolt, were freed by state action or by the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, ratified in December 1865. This Emancipation Proclamation gave a renewed energy to the Union Army, for Abraham Lincoln showed the country that he meant business. If his army was victorious, the slaves would be freed by law. Abraham Lincoln's second pivotal proclamation was on April 30th, 1863. This proclamation was for a day of prayer, fasting, and national prayer. This is what God expects America to do, even today. Joel 2, verse 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, verse 13, and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, 
for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Verse 16, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Verse 18, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Verse 19, yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Verse 20, but I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the East Sea and his hinder parts toward the uttermost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Verse 21, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. So we see that if we as Americans will repent, God will turn the tide and begin to fight for us. Now let us read excerpts from Abraham Lincoln's proclamation for a national day of fasting and prayer. I do, by this proclamation, des designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion by Abraham Lincoln. Second excerpt. It behooves us to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness, Abraham Lincoln. Third excerpt, and whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow and yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history, that these nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus. And insomuch as we know that by his divine laws, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful 
calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people by Abraham Lincoln. Fourth excerpt. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied, enriched us and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us by Abraham Lincoln. And the last excerpt, all this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings no less than the pardon of our national sins and of the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace by Abraham Lincoln. Don't we, as Americans, not desperately need to hear our political leaders in America today call upon our Lord Jesus as Abraham Lincoln did and ask us as Americans to confess our national sins as well as our personal ones in order that Jesus, the great melting pot, might again bring healing to our land and melt us together in Christ. We again as Americans need to serve our Lord with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12 verse 28. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. So let us look at the timeline again. January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation. April 30th, 1863, the National Day of Humiliation, Fasting, and Prayer. And then God brought about the essential monumental victory at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, July 1 through 3, 1863. Over 50,000 casualties occurred in the three days, July 1st through the 3rd, 1863. And Abraham Lincoln's quest to free the slaves finally found a great victory at Gettysburg. It turned out to be the battle that was the turning point of the war. In the movie Gettysburg, Colonel Chamberlain's attempts to persuade the mutineers who were sent to him from another regiment who wanted to go home, he persuaded them to fight one last time. This is his speech as rendered in the movie Gettysburg. This regiment was formed last summer in Maine. There were a thousand of us then. There are less than 300 of us now. All of us volunteered to fight for the Union, just as you did. 
Some came mainly because we were bored at home, thought this looked like it might be fun. Some came because we were ashamed not to. Many of us came because it was the right thing to do. And all of us have seen men die. This is a different kind of army. If you look back through history, you will see men fighting for pay, for women, for some other kind of loot. They fight for land, power, because a king leads them, or or just because they like killing. But we are here for something new. This has not happened much in the history of the world. We are an army set out to set other men free. America should be free ground, all of it, not divided by a line between slave state and free, all the way from here to the Pacific Ocean. No man has to bow, no man born to royalty. Here we judge you by what you do, not by who your father was. Here you can be something. Here is the place to build a home. But it's not the land. There's always more land. It's the idea that we all have value, you and me. What we're fighting for in the end, we're fighting for each other. Sorry, I didn't mean to preach. You you go ahead. You talk for a while. If you, if you choose to join us, you want your muskets back, you can have them. Nothing more will be said by anybody, anywhere. If you choose not to join us, well, you can come along under the guard. And when this is all over, I'll do what I can to see you get a fair treatment. But for now, we're moving out. Gentlemen, I think if we lose this fight, we lose the war. So if you choose to join us, I'll be personally very grateful. Abraham Lincoln humbly reminds us as Americans that it is our duty to acknowledge that God is sovereign and that we should embrace being in a state of repentance as a nation, that we might receive mercy and pardon, leading to a multitude of blessings. He writes, And whereas it is the duties of nations as well as men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, is God really the overruling power in the nations? Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart, America's president's heart, is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. This verse reminds us that God is the overruling power of the nations. That would include in America. Therefore, it behooves us as Americans to humble ourselves and take ownership of our dependence upon this overruling power who happens to be our Lord, King Jesus, who is the Prince of the Kings. The Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and a King of kings. And they that are with him are called the chosen and the faithful. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 these shall make war with the Lamb. 
and the Lamb, Christ, shall overcome them. For he, Christ, is the Lord of the lords and King of the kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Since the true believers, the saints, are not only priests but kings, we rule with Jesus, who is the prince of the king of the kings. And it is the honor of the saints to execute judgment upon the heathen as it is written. Psalm 149, verse 5. Let the saints, the true believers, be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword. Two-edged sword means the Bible, which is a two-edged sword, because it both wounds and heals when applied to our life and of our nation. A two-edged sword in their hand. For what purpose? Verse 7, to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. Verse 8, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. Verse 9, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. When Jesus was confronted by Satan, he always responded to Satan by saying, but it is written. Dr. Luke chapter 4 verse 6. And the devil said unto Jesus, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. Verse 7, If thou therefore wilt worship me, Satan, all shall be thine. Verse 8, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written in the Old Testament, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So it behooves us as Christians and Americans to clothe ourselves in humility before the prince of the king of this earth and to know the word of God inside and out and to be in much prayer, praying back to God what is written in the scriptures as Jesus did. For we want to be congruent with our Lord by knowing what is written. For he, Jesus, knows what is written and does according to what is written. Therefore, let us meditate upon the word of God day and night, that we might know what is written, and also that we will not be conformed to this world. But let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind. For what purpose? Former Mr. Morality exhorts us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you or beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. For what purpose? That you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So the will of God is revealed in the word of God. And what does the word of God say about how Jesus controls our president of America? Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart or America's president's heart is in the hand of the Lord Jesus as the river of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Think about this. King Jesus turns President Biden's heart whithersoever he wills. And therefore, should not we as American clothe ourselves in humility, crying out for mercy because of our many iniquities and transgressions that our Lord Jesus might not pull back his hand of grace, but rather shed his grace upon us, the American people. Now, there is no question that Abraham Lincoln knew the importance of the following. It is the duties of nations as well as men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God. And should not we as Americans take heed to Abraham Lincoln's exhortation? And what about George Washington's exhortations? George Washington, as general of the Continental Army of the 13 colonies, no doubt believed that it was the providence of God that protected him and gave America the victory over the mightiest military in the world, England. George Washington writes, the reflection upon my situation and that of this army produces many an uneasy hour when all around me are wrapped in sleep. Few people know the predicament we are in. If I shall be able to rise superior to these and many other difficulties which might be enumerated, I shall most religiously believe that the finger of providence is in it, George Washington. And again, George Washington exhorts us as Americans. Let us therefore rely upon the goodness of the cause and the aid of the supreme being in whose hands victory is to animate and encourage us to great and noble actions. The eyes of our countrymen are now upon us. Let us conclude by applying to America what God exhorts his people to do through Moses if they desire victory. Deuteronomy eleven twenty two, For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you, to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to cleave unto him. Then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread, there shall be no man able to stand before you. 
For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. To be continued, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.